Uh, it's a real joy to worship with you uh, again. I am uh, struck as I hear you sing and I hear your voices uh, and you fill up this room with, with praises. And, and I know some of you are talented singers and you make joyful, beautiful noises and others of you just make joyful noises. Uh, but it is a joy to the Lord's heart when we get our place, uh, ourselves in that place of, of honoring him and lifting him up. Uh, I asked Chuck Niedermeyer if he would join me up here this morning just for uh, the opening part. Look at that, man. He's like, quick. He's like spry, ready to go. Chuck and Pat Niedermeyer, if you don't know them, they're awesome. Give them a little welcome, a little, uh, little thanks. I appreciate this guy. Give me a hug. Appreciate you, man. Uh, so Chuck and Pat, they've been leaders in various ways in the church here and serve in all kinds of ways throughout the community. And so that's a story for another time. But since we've been talking about prayer walking, uh, Chuck and I have been having some conversation and he's been sharing with me some of the things that God's been doing. I've just loved it. And I said, look, just share a few minutes with the church about how God's been stirring and uh, I'd love for you to do it. It was so awesome, seriously, to get to hear from He's laughing because I told him don't talk too long uh, before. That's why he's laughing up here. But uh, he, he gets it. And uh, would you just share a little bit? Give a little, give a little thanks to Chuck for being here today. Hey, really, let's give God Yay. the praise. Let's give, give, let's give the Lord the, let's give the Lord the praise. No, I'm so thankful uh, for Aaron giving me this opportunity to share with you. Uh, let me just say very quickly that you know a good prayer walk begins with uh, a quiet time at home. You know, uh, spending time alone with the Lord, and uh, that that's what's really been coming out of this for me in many different ways. Although uh, the Christian life, as many of you have realized, is three steps forwards and two steps back occasionally, but God keeps pressing us in. Uh, further in, in our, our, our relationship with him. You know, and Galatians says that, you know, if we're going to restore those who are caught in sin, we have to first look at ourselves, you know, and, and as we look at ourselves, then we begin to realize that we need God uh, in our life. You know, the Bible says very clearly that, that the word of the cross to those who are perishing is foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is what? The power of God unto salvation. It's the power of God to release us uh, uh, from our own sin and release a community from its sin. What happened with me was uh, after the first of the year, I started doing a lot of walking, uh, trying to lose a few uh, ugly uh, Christmas ponds, you know. And, and as I was walking, uh, but, although I have done this in the past with, on our treadmill and, and walking in the community, I, you know, I prayed for my family and so on. But the Lord began to draw me into a deeper relationship with him and uh, in, in my prayer life. And, and I'm, I'm still growing in that. And uh, so I, what I do is I get up in the morning, basically, and, and try to spend some quiet time with the Lord. Uh, I, I, I said, you know, I, uh, I got that app on my phone, uh, even though I'm a baby boomer, that uh, the call it your prayer. And that's probably one of the first, why my coffee is dripping in the other room, uh, I'm reading that little devotion. It's the first thing I read in the morning, just because I know I'm a, a clean sheet at that time. And so uh, God begins to speak through us through those, those messages and, and then in, in other scriptures and so on and so forth. But as, as I realize this as I've been growing in this is that God has given us a real toolbox and it's called the Holy Spirit. <laughs> 
The Holy Spirit, uh, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, Jesus said, when I leave, I'm going to bring uh, a promised Holy Spirit into the world. And he's going to be one who's the encourager, the helper, the counselor, uh, the bearing witness of the Father. He's the one that, that, that shows us so many, leads us into all truth, you know, in the early disciples in the church today. So I began to pray those prayers. I pray that, oh, if this house needs encouragement, encourage them. Bless them, Lord. I don't know what's going on behind the walls, but bless them. If they need help of some kind, bless them. If they need to be convicted of truth, of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come, the Holy Spirit's in there, too. Uh, but, you know, as, as I prayed, I just prayed to the glory of God that that would happen. And I'm, my prayer is that the manifold fest wisdom uh, spirit of God uh, would rest upon this community. Couple examples. Uh, I got up one morning and, and I read this uh, out of Lord's Prayer of "Give me this day our daily bread, and forgive us not our trespass." You know, forgive our trespasses. And, and, and the devotion was groceries in, trash out of our life. God provides groceries in and trash out. So I began to pray that over the community as I walked around uh, for the houses in the community. I used a simple uh, 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 formula. A-C-T-S, you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Adoration, praise God. It's so easy to praise God when you're walking around his creation. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. Uh, just praise you. You're worthy. Confessing our own sin. Confessing the sins of our nation. Confessing the sins of the world. Thanksgiving. All the God, all the blessings that God has placed in your life. Be thankful. And as you pray, you pray and thank God for these, these people that live around you. And pray that, you know, we, we live in such a wonderful country as this. And, and then supplication. Just really pressing in with the Lord on special needs. Now, I... So time to time, uh, what has grown over the years, uh, over, the, over this time, uh, this season of my life, is that I've started to read scripture over the neighborhood. Now, I'm not like a radical reading out loud. I open up my, my cell phone. I walk on, on Devonshire and Cherry Ridge and Havenshire. These shire means community. So the, uh, I started to change the names of these streets. Like uh, Cherry, Cherry uh, Ridge is no longer Cherry Ridge. Are, it's righteous ridge. I pray that God's righteousness would rest on it, you know. And in uh, and, and Devonshire, I would say something very special about Devonshire. I know the Jaspers walk on Devonshire. They come from the other directions. I'm on the northwest side of Devonshire. And oftentimes I'll stand on that corner of the northwest and read scripture over, you know, quietly on my phone as allowed uh, to the community and, and the spirits there. But anyway, I, I just, I, I know there's one section up in Devonshire that we have encircled. I've seen it on the map out there that I, I believe God is doing something very special, the struggle between light and darkness. So anyway, uh, going on, uh, renaming names, Devonshire is no longer Devonshire, it's Divineshire. It's no longer Cherry Ridge, it's, it's, it's Righteous Ridge. It's no longer Havenshire, it's it's Heavenshire, you know. So I, I, I was walking along the bike path one day, and I, I had the uh, image, and uh, the image was uh, the field was right there, and the harvest was coming in. And I was thinking of the harvest, and I, the scripture started coming to the mind, uh, to my mind and heart, you know, that the the the, the harvest is plentiful. 
but the, the workers are few. And I, and I, I was thinking, yeah, that's in the scripture. And, and the Spirit of God prompted me, said, look up, look up, you know. And I looked up, and above the beautiful sunset in the morning air, there was Havenshire, all those townhouses there. And I said, God, I, I hear you. I'm going to go pray over those homes. So this is what's kind of some of the things that have been going on. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to him, you know, and to me. And as, as I, I pray, I, I pray, I don't pray that God drive them uh, into the kingdom, but God draw them into the kingdom of God. So that's, that's, that's my testimony. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And uh, we, we, we need to pray. I will say that. We are a holy nation of priesthood believers, That's awesome. and we need to be people of prayer. Yeah. Amen. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, Thank brother. You, brother. Thanks, man. So Chuck and Pat, these guys are a huge, uh, yeah, shake, shake the jar. Yeah, we'll tell you about that later on. He's, he's doing me a little favor. Get that thing ready for later on. Uh, Chuck and Pat are a huge encouragement to me and to Amy, and uh, we're just so grateful for them. Uh, their life, their ministry, their encouragement, and so glad that they're a part of it. So what, does, what happens when God uh, not only is stirring in one couple or one home, but in dozens, if not hundreds, across this? And think about the impact that that could begin to make as the, the community becomes saturated with people who are saying, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. So thank you for, for giving us that example even today. Uh, I love that Chuck was kind of put on mission before we even said anything with the church. God already had him out prayer walking the street. And I know many of you are doing that same kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I'm shaking the jar here this morning uh, as a little bit of an illustration for what we're going to be talking about. So just kind of keep an eye on this throughout. You're going to see that th- sort of, I'll explain that in a little while. Uh, our preaching during the end of the summer and the beginning of the fall uh, has been around this area of prayer, encouraging you as a church to pray like it matters. So last week we asked you this question, what barriers are keeping you from resting in Jesus? That idea of being able to rest in his presence, such a critical thing. And yet, I'll tell you, man, it's elusive, right? I mean, you've got external noise, all the stuff from your world around you, from responsibilities that you have, kind of keeps you hopping, keeps you running, keeps you harried, hurried, sort of frantic. Uh, we talk about the sheer velocity of our culture has reached this exponential fever pitch And now we're in all of this distraction and addiction and pace of life and ask the question, what is this doing to our souls? So if we're going to pray well, we've got to understand that hurry is never going to lead us into a place of praying well. The internal noise that we deal with, we deal with our distracted uh, sort of internal state. We have internal conflict, attention deficit, this sort of uh, endless looping of our own scattered thoughts. Uh, I remember what it was like um, to be bored. I'm old enough to know what that's like. Some of you are not, right? I mean, some of you, you've grown up in a world where you you can literally fill up every little space of time uh, uh, in your day. And so in our cultural reality, somebody recently lamented this, you know, it's actually true that you can eliminate all silence and solitude from your life. Like, we actually have the capacity to do that. That's a relatively new phenomenon. I'm old enough to be, uh, to remember what it's like to be bored. I I remember what it was like to have car rides with no movies. I know some some little kids are like, what? Like, car ride, no movie? Like, we just drove. Like, and and so, like, we would take a book or whatever, but if you finished your book, like, you would just kind of be like, 
uh, it was like, does anybody remember playing the alphabet game? Yeah. I mean, there's, some of us remember, there's like, there's like parents had to do something with bored kids. It was like, you see if you can find uh, the letters of the alphabet, you know? So it was like, that's what we would do. I mean, after you read your book and you were done fighting with your, uh, with your uh, sibling about whose side of the seat was on and everything like that. Uh, and then uh, boredom would give rise to like the big existential questions of life. Like, you know, are we there yet? You know what I mean? The parents like, we'll get there when we get there. You know, that, all of that was, was part of the deal. Um, I, I, it also strikes me that hurry, you know, we talk about hurry killing your prayer life. Like hurry can kind of kill you. Uh, we were driving not too far away from here in uh, the Phillipsburg area recently, and uh, we drove past this area that's sort of become a famous part of Henning, uh, Henning lore. Uh, and I don't remember if it was me or one of the kids or whatever said, oh, this is the place that Dave got air. And we all know in our family what that means. Uh, it was a reference to, to a few years back. Uh, it was in COVID. It was in 2020. We were coming back from the Erie area, and we're driving back to State College, so we're coming on 322 on the way to, to Phillipsburg. And there's this area of, like, uh, single-lane traffic, you know, just the, the double line. And we're coming up to this place, and there's a large truck that has stopped. He's getting ready to turn left, but he's waiting because there's oncoming traffic kind of thing. So he's kind of waiting to get his space. And for whatever reason, he was waiting for a little bit longer than maybe some felt was necessary. And there was a car, about five or six uh, uh, vehicles behind me. Uh, it was a big white van, and as the kids are talking and Amy are talking, we're just kind of talking. It's it's kind of late in the evening. I get distracted from the conversation because I see headlights starting to drive up the opposing lane of traffic. So this guy's decided he's had enough. He's getting around this line of cars. What he doesn't know is this truck, a few vehicles in front of me, is turning left. So the lane that he's in is going to be like this narrowly closing window. So he's picking up speed, and I'm going. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. He goes flying past me. I was like, oh boy, oh boy. So the, the truck now has closed the window. It's turning left. The guy realizes at the last second, there's no more road there. It's a big semi truck in the way. He veers off the road, goes running up this berm, hits this thing, goes three or four feet in the air, the whole van, and lands in a billboard. And when you're at the end of a drive, when you're like kind of bored and tired and everything, all of a sudden it's like, did that just happen? And Amy was like, I think we should get out and check on him. I was like, yeah, we probably should. So several of us got out and the police had to come and everything like that. I actually had the task of, I got to be the one-on-one -on -one care for this guy who thankfully, he was gonna make it. He was fine. He was not critically injured. He was banged up pretty bad, hit the roof of the car and stuff like that when he was landing. His back was really sore. And as he's, as he's kind of like writhing in pain and, and like, oh man, I'm just so sore. I said, yeah, just sit tight. We're gonna get you care and everything like that. He keeps asking me this question. He goes, he goes, did I get air? And I was like, yeah, you, you got air. And then we would talk a little while longer. He's like, I know, I shouldn't have gone doing that. I was in a rush. And then the truck was, I was like, dude, I, I saw the whole thing. I know. He's like, uh, but I did, I got air, right? I was like, dude, Dave, you, you got air. So that was the space that Dave got air. Hurry can kill you. And in a hurried world, you know, our lives kind of feel like that. We just, for whatever reason, we don't like waiting and we don't like being still. And so we got to get around to that next thing. And in that case, a very literal sense. In that kind of space and in that kind of frenetic living, the voice of Jesus comes to us, Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, not air. Thank you. Thank you for that. That was hilarious. But no, he didn't say, I will give you air. He said, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. And so we, you know, I just sensed over these last, you, you look at that scripture, uh, over these last weeks, I've just kind of sensed the Lord say, don't, don't run past this. This is such a vital part of prayer. And for a lot of us, this is the missing ingredient. You know, this is the thing that we either have lost or we never knew how to get in the first place. A rested soul to be able to rest in his presence. Philippians 4, we looked at last week. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be, be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this, this picture is sort of of a, a world that you live in that is driving you and driving me from peace. And the invitation is to look to Jesus, to know his presence, to rejoice in him. Honestly process your anxiety and other emotion through prayer, supplication, gratitude, to receive his peace. So I've been hearing these testimonies from more people than I can remember over the last week. So people right here from this church just saying, this is what God is doing in my life in this area and leading me to a place of knowing how to rest in him. God is working in you. God is working in us. And that in and of itself, that's huge. When you can look around and say, you know, God's stirring. God's calling us forward. Little things. I mean, just literally this morning after the first service, someone came up and said, you are not going to believe. God put this on my heart and this happened and I read this in my devotions and it was the same verse. That, I mean, it was God is sort of emphasizing some themes. I was just at a gathering of pastors on Thursday uh, down in Lancaster, Bible Belt of Pennsylvania. And uh, so we're down there with, with pastors from all over the state and even beyond uh, the state and uh, different churches that have heart for the gospel and are influencing their community and, and everything. And so they're going through the different things. I didn't really know what the full agenda was for the day, but about uh, you know, sometime in the morning session, the, the person who is hosting and leading the thing says, hey, we didn't want to mention this to you in advance because we didn't know if it was going to work out, but... Uh, if you see at this table right over here, John Ortberg is with us today. So some of you know that name, John Ortberg. He's a superhero of mine, and he's, uh, I've been quoting him in some of these messages. I mean, one of the great leaders when it talks, to, to, talks about tending your soul and caring and resting in the Lord. So he's sitting right there. I mean, this would be like you go to a conference on investing, and they're like, yeah, we're going to talk about this. Oh, and by the way, Warren Buffett is, is just right here. You know, so they have, they have uh, John Ortberg get up. Uh, just this last week, and he's sharing, he says, well, here's some stuff that's on my heart that I would want to share with a group of pastors, and he says, you know, you guys really need to work on your inner self. You got to work on daily, being rested, having a rested soul, uh, having an energized spirit, that taking on challenging work, cultivating joy, experiencing the sustaining presence of Jesus so that you can develop resilience and develop authenticity. And it's like, so here's the guy that I'm quoting, talking about messages about resting in Jesus, who gets up and, of course, says, here's what you got to be working on, you know? So we see this work of God, this emphasis that he seems to be bringing again and again and again. It was a small enough group that I had the privilege of getting up uh, and just saying to him, hey, you know, I've been quoting you and Dallas Willard and John Mark Comer and different things like that in my messages lately. He's like, oh, that's great. You know, glad to hear that. And so um, that was a cool little thing. And I found myself, here's, here's why I'm saying that. I found myself um, over these last weeks especially, I have been very busy I have a lot of stuff to do. You, you have a lot of stuff to do too. You, you're busy. Um, but I have found myself finding that sort of special gear of resting. 
in the Lord, even in the midst of busyness, even in the midst of a very busy day or like a lot of things that I got to do. And the interesting thing about that has been that I've actually found myself in some ways being more productive and absolutely more joyful. So when I find myself even walking away from the thing, like, hey, you know, what a cool gift that I got to shake John Ortberg's hand and thank him for inspiring me as I'm trying to inspire you to rest in Jesus just a little bit. I just think that that moment brought great gratitude and joy into my life. The tools of Jesus we began to talk about last week, silence, solitude, I want to talk about that particularly today, and Sabbath. The challenge is that in this noisy world, how do we learn to rest and pray without having a hurried spirit? So silence is this intentional decision that we make to turn down the noise of life and to listen well to what God is saying at the soul level. And I say that actually with a quick caveat to say, I would suspect that there are many, not a couple, many, many, many of you that would say, that sounds great. I actually have no idea what you're talking about. The idea of listening to God at a deep level. I talk to pastors all the time, spiritual leaders, and I've been, I've been the guilty party in this. I'm not pointing any fingers when I say this. To say, you get so busy and so clouded and so cluttered, you don't even know how to listen to the voice of God. And that is part of 20th century, uh, 21st century uh, reality that we need to be aware of. Silence is the intentional decision to turn down the noise and to listen well to what God is saying at the soul level. Today, I want to look at the life of Jesus and his practice of the discipline that... <clears throat> excuse me, that interfaces so beautifully with, uh, with this idea of silence, and that is solitude. You probably can't have one without the other. And I actually want to begin with a quote from Dallas Willard. It's a relatively long quote. I've got a part of it up here on the screen. You can put that up on the screen now if you want to. He begins by talking about this. In this challenge that we have in our fast-paced world, it would be a fallacy to think that one simply needs more time. And we talked about that last week a little bit. Because unless a deeper solution is found, more time will just fill up in the same way as the time we already have. The way to liberation, Willard says, is to and rest lies through a decision and a practice. Solitude and silence are the most radical of the spiritual disciplines because they most directly attack the sources of human misery and wrongdoing. To be in solitude is to choose to do nothing. For extensive periods of time, all accomplishment is given up. Now, here's the part that we have up on the screen. He says, silence is required for complete solitude, for until we enter quietness, the world still lays hold of us. When we go into solitude and silence, we stop making demands on God. It is enough that God is God and we are His. We learn we have a soul, that God is here, that this world is my Father's world, to quote the great hymn. What a great, man, that's just so rich. Leave that, leave that quote up for a minute, just so you can glance at it for a moment. You know, we go, I actually asked a couple of our staff this week, I said, what stands out to you? And we were talking about the things in that, this idea that like, wow, we go into solitude, silence, we stop making demands of God. It is enough to know that God is God. We are his. Now, I wonder what your reaction to this quote would be. Some of us might be sort of wistful, right? Even now, you go, oh, man, that would be nice. 
That would be nice, you know, to, to experience God in that way. Some of you, might, maybe you're feeling sort of optimistic. You know what? Maybe this could actually happen. Maybe that could actually define me in some way. Some of you are a little more realistic. You would say, that's eh, probably not feeling like it's going to happen, at least not today. Some of you are pessimistic, and you're feeling like that's never going to happen. Some of you are downright sarcastic. Yeah, right, like anybody could do that. And I don't know about you, sometimes I even find myself feeling irritated when I'm in a bad spot. I'm overly hurried and I'm overly busy and everything like that. And people are talking about resting in the presence of God. And I go, man, this is now, I feel like you're wasting time that I don't have. The questioning person might ask this, why in the world would I pursue this? Why would I do that? And that, my friends, is a great question. A simple choice to do a hard thing, to look at the life of Jesus, to learn from him, to actively put into practice things that are worth pursuing, to reduce noise, to intentionally be still, to intentionally listen well. So I've mentioned John Mark Comer several times, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. One of the things that he does in that book, which was very helpful for me, is to talk about Jesus' relationship to solitude specifically the lonely places, the uninhabitable places, the arid spaces, the things where Jesus would, get, would withdraw from the crowd, and he did it a ton. Jesus and the eremos is the Greek word to describe a solitary or desolate place. I want you to look in Matthew 4. We're going to start there today. I'm going to read a couple of passages of Scripture for you, all from Matthew and Mark, and all kind of looking at this idea of Jesus and solitude and this propensity that he had to withdraw into it. Matthew 4 is an interesting beginning because right at the end of Matthew 3 is the baptism of Jesus. This was the launching of his earthly ministry. It's a beautiful Trinitarian sort of experience with Jesus in the water, the Holy Spirit descending on him, and the audible voice of God the Father saying over him, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And it is that identity in the Father's affirmation that is now launching Jesus into his earthly ministry. Now we get to verse, uh, the first verses of Matthew 4, and it's sort of curious because it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him. Jesus' relationship with the Aramos. Just kind of keep that, um, keep your finger there for just a moment. I, I want to talk about kind of what was Jesus doing in the Aramos or the Aramos, the, the, the solitary places. What was happening there and what can we learn from that? Uh, this, this word is often used to describe a solitary, desolate place. Um, it would have been referred to as a desert, but this is really only incidental for that particular geography. Uh, rather, the Aramos properly referred to a deserted place, a place that is abandoned, uncultivated, uninhabited. So it doesn't mean necessarily that it had nothing in it, but it did not have permanent human settlement. It was the idea that we would say it was a wild place. And, and what is interesting when you look at the life of Jesus who had all the resources of heaven and direct connection to the Father, it seems as though he found that by going to the wild. Jesus spent time in solitude. And this first thing I want to just look at, I want to look at sort of four things that happened in the solitude, and we're going to do them kind of quickly. Solitude as preparation for spiritual conflict. 
That's the first thing we see here in Matthew 4. Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness, or the Eremos, to be tempted by the devil. Fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter came to him. I'm not going to discuss the specifics of the temptation of Christ. That's a great sermon for another time, but we're not going to do that today. I want you to simply see that this was the preparation for spiritual conflict that Jesus chose. The beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry starts with a duel, a test, a showdown. And here's the interesting thing. And a, a test that would attack his identity. Because what the enemy does say to him is this, if you are the son of God, and then he tempts him three times and with three different things, if you are the son of God, what was the affirmation of the father one chapter before, just verses before? This is my son. In him I am well pleased. The enemy comes to you and attacks you at the point of identity. If you are the Son of God, do these things. He does the same thing for us, so we need to be aware of this. In Christ's economy, it was worth the time to go to the Eremos for preparation for spiritual conflict. And it wasn't, this is an important distinction as well. It's different to say, I'm going to the wilderness or I'm going to solitude. Solitude is not the same thing as isolation. Many good speakers and many leaders would, would identify this as a, a critical misstep, that we say, I just need solitude, but what we really mean is, I just want to escape. And escapism is almost always a spiritually bad thing for us. Escapism is where we find ourselves uh, more tempted by addiction. Escapism is where we find ourselves more tempted without accountability. We just want to find, we just want to unload, we just want to binge watch, we just want to get away that's not the same thing that Jesus was doing. In escapism, we're trying to get empty. In solitude, we're trying to get full. Jesus is going into the desert and into the, into the solitude as preparation for spiritual conflict. Uh, just as a one quick clarifying thing that might be helpful to you. Um, I suspect that there are those who will hear this message, last week's message, etc., and say, I really would like to grow in this. I really would like to carve out this better. How do I know when I'm actually ex experiencing solitude? Cal Newport de defines uh, solitude as simply limiting your inputs to God and to you. To be attentive to what's happening in your own heart, your own spirit, your own soul. And to listen for the voice of God. And to strip away the other things. So every time you say, I'm going to take my phone and I'm going to put it aside, you're eliminating an input. I'm not watching TV, I'm going to eliminate an input. I'm not online, I'm not surfing the web, I'm, not I'm eliminating an input. I'm not on social media, I'm eliminating an input. Finding solitude is essentially the task of eliminating those inputs. I think that was actually a very helpful definition. Uh, and it forces you to make a thousand little decisions through your week. Uh, when you're driving in your car to say, I'm just not going to listen to anything right now. I'm just going to embrace the silence, the stillness, and listen. And there's a lot of other things that you could apply that to. So solitude as preparation for spiritual conflict, that's number one. Solitude as a source of missional clarity, this is the second one. This is so vitally important. We have so many leaders in this church and congregation, and I'm even more excited about this, so many emerging leaders, people that God's got his hand on your life. And so you have to develop an understanding of missional clarity. Look at this in Mark 1. This is just an awesome passage. If you just flip ahead one gospel, Mark 1. Rising very early in the morning, 
While it was still dark, he, that is Jesus, departed, and he went out to a desolate place, the Aremos, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Um, Here's the really interesting thing about this. If you take a synopsis of Jesus' beginning of his ministry, it kind of looks like this. Called to ministry, uh, affirmed by the Father, he goes out to the Aramos for 40 days. He has public ministry for one day. That's what happens in Mark 1. You see all of the stuff that God's doing uh, through Jesus in this one day. And then he's immediately back to the solitude, back to the wilderness, back to the Aramos, so that his disciples have to look for him. They're not sure where he is. He's out praying, and and so his disciples come to him, and they say, everybody's looking for you. Now, here's a critical piece, and I never saw this before until recently. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Um, First of all, you see... You see the life rhythm of Jesus? He's in the solitude. He's doing ministry. He's back to the solitude. He's doing new ministry. As he comes out, his disciples have a great plan for him. You got to get back to where you just left off. The people are calling for you. Everybody is looking for you. And Jesus has the clarity in his heart and mind in connection with the Father to say, we're actually going over here. To develop missional clarity is one of the most critical things that you can do. Jesus' response, it is clear, it is centered, it is knowing what God is asking him to say yes to, and perhaps more importantly, where to say no. How's our little jar doing up here? This thing is very murky. That's ugly. Don't take that to the newcomer luncheon. You don't want to drink it. I don't want to accidentally do that. It's just kind of muddy water. But over a little bit of time, it has become more settled than it was. And as it becomes a little bit more settled, it takes some time, it becomes a little more clear. This is why, as I was saying before, for a lot of us, we say, I don't even know what you're talking about when you talk about hearing the voice of God. Because you've never had a settled heart. You've never had a settled moment. And so there's this beautiful invitation to come in to allow this to begin to settle. And clarity then increases. The, last one, the next one is solitude and distraction. I want you to see this flipping ahead just a couple of chapters to Mark 6. It says, solitude and distraction. So the apostles return to Jesus. Now they're doing ministry. They're doing the stuff that he's asked them to do, and it's going great. All these things are happening. And they told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. At Ramos once again. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. The rest of this passage, Mark 6, is really an interesting one because essentially what we see here is this. Jesus is looking at his disciples. They're ministering. They're serving. They're doing all these things. He says, you guys, you're doing great work. Now it's time to get away. It's time to get away. It's time to be still for a little while. And so they go. And you'd like to think, like, so they go, they take a little vacation time with Jesus, and it's great, and then they're back to it. But it doesn't actually go like that. Solitude and distraction is this point. They went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. It says, verse 33, Now many saw them going and recognized them and ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Now there's even more people, even more ministry, even more stuff to be done. 
They were going to withdraw, but the people, the, the ministry followed them. The needs followed them. And this is the image that I want you to see. Just about the time you think you got some stuff settled, somebody comes along and is going to shake it up. That is a distraction, true, but it's life. And it's interesting that the gospel actually gives us this, that even in the place of Jesus and the disciples saying, it's time to get away, that the people follow them. What happens from there is really interesting because it says that Jesus saw the crowd, and this is the famous line where it says he had compassion on them. So here's the people coming. They're distracting. They're drawing away, and yet Jesus looks at them with compassion in his eyes. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is still looking at busy, harassed, hurried people, and he comes in with compassion. And then it's an interesting end because if you know where you are in the Gospel of Mark, the disciples, uh, says it's, it's getting late, and the disciples said to him, this is a desolate place. You know what that means now. And the hour is late. Send them away to go get something to eat. And Jesus says, why don't you give them something to eat? And the next thing that happens is the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, I want to just acknowledge this with you because I think it's just really important. Some of you are going to leave here. You say, you know, I'm, I want to pursue greater solitude, silence. I want to be still before the Lord and all of that. And sometimes that's going to work out. And sometimes life and ministry and needs are going to catch up to you and going to shake up your spirit just a little bit. So you've got to be flexible. Flexibility wins the day here. People in needs will fight for attention of your solitude. You need to learn to be flexible with it. Demands will come that will shake up your stillness. You need to learn to be flexible with it. I remember when uh, our boys were young and uh, Amy was, was saying, you know, I just need to get a little more time with the Lord, a little bit more solitude and everything. And so she was sort of praying about that, but that was a season that was really hard. Some of you are in a season right now, you don't have margin, you don't have a lot of space. Nobody that I've talked to would say, hey, I'm gonna take the next 40 days and just go be still for a while. I don't know anybody with that kind of margin. And maybe that's a problem with culture, or maybe that's just a reality that we're all in. So what do we do? We carve out the space that God would give us. We begin to prioritize the things that would give us even incremental steps in the direction of silence and solitude. So Amy's a young mom or young parents at the time. We're crazy busy. We're running all the time. You're up late. You're, you know, kids have problems. They have needs and everything. Work is busy, all of that kind of stuff. And God spoke to her heart and said, I want you to go get the purple Bible. <laughs> that's, the, that's the Oswald Chambers devotional Bible. And I want you to carve out time if it's 5.30 in the morning or whatever. And you're, and you're going to get through that. But I have things that I want to speak to you in the solitude. And she did. She didn't have days to give. She didn't have weeks at a time. But she was able to carve out that space of solitude. I would get up early in the morning, oftentimes come down and see her up earlier than me, waiting on the word, waiting in the time with the Lord. So that idea of solitude and distraction, it is a real thing. Let's embrace it for what it is. Here's the last thing I'm gonna close with this. Solitude as a source of power in prayer. So in Matthew 6, if we flip over there, uh, just really one verse I want you to see. Uh, Jesus says, don't babble when you pray. Uh, don't, be, don't make a spectacle of yourself when you pray. People love to pray for attention. Don't do that. He says, pray in secret. When you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. 
And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is, again, this concept of fullness and fulfillment. And before we get out into the fulfillment of the work and the ministry that God has for us, we have to understand how to seek his presence. And we do this in secret. In fact, I would even say this. I love to pray in public. I love to pray with other people corporately. But if we're not praying in our private prayer life, our corporate prayer life is going to suffer. So Jesus' first priority is this. Learn to develop your quiet place of prayer. And what is done in secret so I was thinking about that just a little bit, and I'm going to give this last example. Uh, somebody sent me this, um, this update. It was just a praise. Some, it's a ministry I'm not familiar with or whatever. Uh, Jenny Allen doing some ministry in the Auburn area and on campus there. And so Jenny Allen writes this. She said, last night I finished a message at Auburn University. I was off the stage, and a student texted the pastor beside me that they wanted to be baptized that night. Um, incidentally... I'm always encouraged when I'm hearing, I love God stories, and I love God stories from 100 years ago, but it's sort of exciting when you hear a, a really cool God story from like a week ago, or days ago, or something like that. This is days ago. So a student texts his pastor and says, hey, I want to get baptized, and so she says, I went back on the stage and I asked if anybody else wanted to trust Christ and be baptized. Dozens of hands were raised. So all of a sudden, thousands of students leave the arena and they walked to a lake and a red barn. It was about a mile away. They circled the lake, and about six to ten leaders get in the water, and they begin baptizing students by the hundreds. People surrounded the lake till almost midnight, hearing the stories of life change and shouting and cheering and praying together. God is moving, and he isn't stopping. This is days ago that this is happening. God's on the move. Who's praying? Well, here's an interesting comment. So after she posts this thing, one of the commenters says this, Jenny, the place where you baptized 200 of my classmates is also the same place where we have been meeting at 6 a.m. every Friday morning to pray for our community and for revival in Auburn. It was unbelievable to see a miracle happen on the very ground that we've been praying over. You know, we don't always get to know what God's doing in the solitude place. But the fullness fulfillment means this. We pray for the fullness of his presence. We ask for him to work, and then we see what he does in the fulfillment of his ministry. He does what he chooses and when he chooses. But how awesome when every now and then we get to just catch a little bit of a glimpse of what God was doing in the solitude. And if you will commit to embracing just a little bit of silence and a little bit of solitude, you may be surprised what God ultimately desires to do. I want to give you just, worship team can come up, and I'll just give you these couple very simple things. Um, if this week you might find amidst the busyness some place to still and unhurry your soul, see what God would do. How would you do that? A couple simple things. Number one, start small. Start small. Give them 10 minutes. Give them five. Give them two. Give them some space. Number two, turn off the noise. That's a, every, every time you say, I'm going I'm to turn off the noise, I'm going to unplug, that's not an input right now. It doesn't mean that these things are evil or bad or whatever. It's just a, it's a conscious choice to say, I'm going to have some time where I turn off the noise. Um, the third thing, and this is, I think, a really important one. There is a difference between doing and learning. You know what I'm saying? 
And I find it really interesting. Jesus is watching his disciples. They're busy. They're ministering. They're doing all this kind of stuff. And he doesn't call them aside and say, hey, I want to give you seven points on the importance of silence and solitude. He says it's time to come away. Come away. And that's two different things. It's good to learn. I love to hear from great men and women of faith who have learned and can teach me things. But it is when you actually do, when you say, I'm going to be still, that we begin. So, so that's an important thing. Uh, and then the last one is this. Stillness takes time. This poor little water bottle. <laughs> it keeps getting shaken up. It's still pretty cloudy. It could use a little more time to just settle things down. Silence and solitude in a world of noise. Stillness is going to take some time. It's not just learning, but it's doing. So I want you to just remember this little ugly glass picture this week when you say, man, my life is feeling kind of shaken up right now, and I need to let the Lord cause me to be still. That will be a huge ingredient as we say, Lord, teach us to pray. Understand? So let's, let's stand up together if you would. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us today. I, I just sense your spirit calling. You know, I, I think about the phrase that, you know, deep calls to deep. Uh, deep calls to deep. And uh, I suspect that your Holy Spirit, even as saying, I'm just kind of, I'm just calling you. I'm drawing you. I love that phrase that Chuck used when he was giving his testimony. That It's, it's not so much about getting pushed. But we are drawn to his presence. We are drawn to a relationship with him. We are drawn to the place of stillness. So yeah, it feels, it feels appropriate to simply say in that moment, there's probably some Jesus-loving people that are hearing this message just saying, Lord, help me to learn to be still. Just quiet my heart. Help me to learn to turn down and unplug and listen better. Listen, help me to grow. All of this is developmental. So we just bless you with that, that the Lord would give you really clear next steps and directions for how to grow in that. Uh, and again, I don't, I don't ever want to miss this opportunity. There, I, I'm certain there's somebody listening to this message that would say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And so the, the efforts to do your best, that's what you have right now. So when Jesus says this sort of audacious invitation, like to anybody that is heavy burdened, anybody that's heavy laden, anybody that's feeling that burden of trying to figure it out on your own, trying to live your best life, trying to keep up with everybody else and their curated pictures on uh, social media, all of that sort of stuff, you feel the weight of life and Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. That you would actually be invited to do life alongside him and in relationship with him. So there's this joyful space that we say, God, I confess my sin before you. I confess that doing it my own way is, is not enough. And here I am with my, my frazzled, frazzled and sort of shaken up jar that is my life. But I would put that in your hands. I would receive your finished work. I would receive your forgiveness. I would receive the relationship that you call me to. And you're on your way to a soul at rest. The great early church father, Augustine, said, our hearts are restless 
until they find their rest in you. So even as we're learning to pray and thinking through some of these things with silence and solitude, maybe there's somebody that says, I need to find my rest in Christ today. Jesus, if that's somebody that's here, I pray that you would break through any barrier, that you would draw us to yourself as deep calls to deep and give us courage to joyfully respond and say, Lord, I want to walk with you. So put words to that prayer if that's you today and tell somebody about it if that's you today. Come up and tell one of our pastors or leaders up here. We would love to rejoice with the work that God's doing. Let me just take one last uh, response moment um, just if I can see who I'm talking to. If there's anybody here that's saying, yeah, the Lord's really speaking to me on one of these levels, just slowing me down, drawing me toward him. Maybe it's a new commitment of him. Would you just raise your hand so I could see you? I just love to see when it's just so encouraging. Yeah, and just hands all over the place. God, you're stirring, you're moving. I pray you give special grace, special strength, special spiritual protection over those who are responding to you, that they would meet with you in a special way. And we love you. We're grateful for what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen.